We are the tide from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating our rivals never gets old. Making our way to the Big Sky Conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. For the Vandals of Idaho. Welcome back. Try from the North Brave and Bold, the official unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Marceau. If you're watching live, I'm being joined by Colin Scott Hughes' picture for some reason. Thank you, Martin. But uh, joined by co-host Dallas Hammer, holding it down in Spokane. Dallas, how's it going? It is not going well, Brian. Uh, over the weekend, my favorite athlete in the history of sports retired, and I am just emotionally devastated. For anybody that doesn't know, Ryan Getzloff, the captain of the Ducks through most of my life, has uh, decided to hang up his skates, and it is it is a sad time in the Hammer House. See, that's a curveball. I was about to tell you, Dallas, Ben Simmons didn't retire. <laughs> Man, what a what a nightmare. I could talk about Ben Simmons for 30 minutes. That is a... That is a shit show. Yes. Uh, full disclosure, April 25th, 2022 will forever in my household be Ben Simmons Day. But we're done talking about Ben Simmons. Martin, producer, joining us kind of from the shadows. Might might be a little bit touchy because he got chastised for a second about that Colin Scott Hughes picture. Martin, how's it going? It's going good. It's nice. It's almost spring game. I'm wearing a football jersey because I'm already excited but i'm doing good brian that's uh that's your favorite number 69 jersey right sure let's go with that okay yeah for uh listeners martin is definitely wearing his favorite number 69 jersey viewers will be able to see the actual number at some point if martin decides um okay number 64 martin view listeners you're just missing everything martin looked like he might disrobe in front of the camera but he just pulled the jersey up so 64 anyway we're gonna probably transition to talking about vandal sports at some point today we have uh kind of a two for one you might say we're gonna open of course we're gonna talk about spring football updates we're only a week away from the spring game guys so we have our own special announcement at the end of this episode too which we'll get to in about uh 15 minutes 20 minutes or so we're going to be joined by our special guest um, a Associate Commissioner of the Big Sky Conference, Dan Satter, is going to be joining us. He's going to be talking about changes to the Big Sky Conference basketball tournament, a little bit of uh, updates on just some, you know, co- the conference itself uh, with any sort of structural changes we've seen, answer some questions about protected rivals. But that's the back half of the episode. We're going to jump right into Around the Bar brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. And the main topic, which I'm going to throw to Dallas is we have another week in the books. Dallas, take it whatever direction you want for our 20 minute or so spring football update. So the direction I want to take this is immediately to the trenches uh, because I, I feel like that is going to be what this entire team hinges on. Uh, I have spoken, I wouldn't say at length, but fairly frequently about the offensive line and being a little bit concerned that there's two seniors a grad transfer, and a bunch of guys that don't have a whole lot of playing time. Uh, In the Thursday practice, Bo St. John, one of the two seniors, named offensive MVP. And then in the Saturday practice, Logan Floyd named offensive MVP, as well as Jason Hallbeck has been given the battle axe and the offensive MVP that he's the grad transfer. So 
uh, the three guys that I would want to stand out the most on the line have all gotten offensive MVP awards in the spring practice sessions. Uh, I think that's a really, really good sign. Uh, hopefully we can find two more guys. Obviously it's not like you're going to play just five guys the entire season. Like everybody's going to, going to get some time, but if we can find two more decent two reliable starters that are young and, and improving and, and getting better, I think it's going to be a really good thing for whichever quarterback ends up winning this battle. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you're not, if you're not getting a lot of protection up front, it really doesn't matter who's up, who's back there. Uh, even Tom Brady struggles when there's not a lot of protection. Look, and the the best way to address the line, I think, is to go over the observations we were given of practice last week. Plus, there is a scrimmage. Scrimmage might be a generous term because they're not. This isn't exactly the same as playing. But uh, updates we have from the scrimmage. Part of this is courtesy of Martin Heemstra, who I'm going to ask Martin to fact check me in a moment. But we look, we've got eyes and ears everywhere, guys. We have other people who message us in telling us what they're seeing at practice, and. We on the show we talked for the last couple of weeks about how the great news defense is looking vastly improved, but if the defense is looking great, that means look when a team's playing itself. If one side looks good, the other side doesn't look good. So offensively, that was the area that we were saying looks like that's that's the that's the part of the ball that we need to see some growth on, I guess, or you'd hope to see growth on. This week, Martin, you said, and this is pretty different from the first the first scrimmage you went to. In the scrimmage portion, portion, it was about a 50-50 split of offense ca- offense capitalizing in you know in their scenarios versus defense holding them in their scenarios. Martin, I'd have you jump in just for a second. One, you said it was about 50-50, which if that's the case, that's a pretty big change relative to when you'd been there previously. But I'm done putting words in your mouth. Is that what you saw? Yeah, that is exactly what I saw. It was the first time that I felt comfortable. I wouldn't say comfortable is the right word. I felt confident with the offense and the way it's going. It was kind of trend. It was trending in the right direction, kind of making the progress as the as the spring practices go on. Which is, we talked a little bit about it previously, but. After our show last week, a couple guys who have helped us out with the show who've got coaching backgrounds messaged us in and said, hey, guys, uh, stick with the line of take your Xanax on offense. When there's new new coaching staff comes in, it's not shocking whatsoever to see uh, improved defensive schematics show show their fruits immediately with the with the current roster. But the offense learning a completely different scheme, also one that looks like it has a little bit more complexity than what Petrino did. I'm not saying in like numbers of plays, but actions within each individual play, this looks different and we don't have a single steady quarterback yet. It should take the offense a little bit more time to make some of their first steps. This weekend appears to be one, the first, really the first time offenses looked stronger in relation to the defense where, and then Martin, I'm going to ask you to jump in again when the offense was doing, was executing what, this wasn't what you wouldn't call this like blown assignments. Like, Hey, back in you know last season when our past defense was worse than the league, other teams were just open. That wasn't because the, the routes were just perfect. It was because our, our defense just wasn't very good. That's, is that not what you saw? It was more the offense was executing better. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was off offensive players making, making plays. 
Okay, perfect. Offensive players making plays. That is, uh, you know what? That's a great transition point. So we we just have a couple bullet points we're going to run through Dallas. Dallas had to start off with the trenches, and we're not trying to blow through that. That absolutely is going to probably dictate how this offense performs better than anything else. But uh, two two bullet points to get to additionally in the scrimmage. Um, C.J. Jordan for most of the spring has been essentially the number one quarterback in the end. And other quarterbacks who rotate in have rotated in with the twos and the threes. This last week, CJ began splitting reps with the ones with uh, freshman Giovanni McCoy. And Martin, going to pull you back in. One, from what you saw, it is correct to say both CJ and Giovanni were taking reps with the, with the ones, correct? That is correct. Okay. And based off of what you saw between CJ and Giovanni, uh, just not an in-depth, in-depth take, just instant reaction. Uh, what'd you notice about, let's say, the difference between those two when they're out there? I'm going to be honest. I didn't see a whole the whole lot. It kind of felt like a seamless transition with with G-O-N and being, albeit, I think, is it a year less experience, a year, le- a year less in the si- year less playing at the D1 level? It's, it's, there was a small difference just because in experience, but it wasn't bad at all by any means. Okay. So pretty close. And look, the, I'm going to throw it to Dallas in a second. My reaction to hearing uh, Giovanni looked pretty comparable to CJ in the amount of time both those guys played is, hey, look, look good news. Again, we know the quarterback isn't going to be decided by the end of the spring game, but uh, to hear that we, if we don't have a single guy running away with it, hearing that we have two guys who look relatively comparable, both of which are young, um, both both guys have arms, both guys can run. That makes me feel pretty comfortable that, look, if we don't get a graduate transfer in, that whoever out of those two ends up becoming the actual starter I got to tell you, I don't necessarily have a horse in either direction. We saw CJ look great against Southern Utah in the spring. Asterisk, Southern Utah's terrible. Uh, we saw Giovanni with not a ton of prep. He, you know, he had moments against Eastern and Montana where he looked sharp. He also had some turnovers, but Eastern and Montana significantly better than Southern Utah. So it's kind of an apples to oranges comparison with the two. I'd say, but I'd say both of them look like they have the tools to be good big sky quarterbacks. But Dallas, you've been on the shelf. I'm throwing it to you. So I, I'm I'm encouraged, but also slightly concerned. Um, I again, I would I would really want to see somebody pulling away. I, I know we spoke about it a lot last week. Where the big thing I want to see, in the, especially in this final week, there's for anybody that's not aware, there's a practice today, there's a practice Thursday, and the spring game is Saturday. That's it. We're we're at the end here. Uh, I w- I'm hoping to see a quarterback take the reins and and run away with this job. I don't think that's realistic, but it's what I'm hoping for. Uh, hearing that the two younger guys, CJ and Gio, are both getting time with the ones, both looking pretty comparable, that's either a really good sign that you have two young guys that, again, I, I've i been on the show talking very highly about CJ and thinking that after that Southern Utah game, this kid's the future. The stats weren't incredible, but the poise he had out there, the accuracy, it, just, it looked like you know get a little seasoning on him and he was going to be phenomenal. Uh, I still believe that. Geo, when we talked, uh, Martin and I talked with uh, former host Chris Hammond uh, back on the recruiting uh, 
episode two years ago and talked about Gio and watched his tape and he looked incredible. Obviously, a, a bunch of turnovers uh, playing as a true freshman last year. I don't think you can count that against him. Uh, so while we've seen the glimpses of both of these guys and think very highly of both of them, and I'm uh, Brian, I think you're right. I think both of these guys can be very good uh, to great Big Sky quarterbacks. It is always a little bit concerning to me when one guy isn't running away with it because the from what we'd heard, the offense hadn't been super great recently. Uh, really throughout most of the spring, the offense has not been uh, winning the battles. Uh, so it's a little bit nerve-wracking for me of maybe that's why they're looking for a grad transfer. Or so we, we think they're looking for a grad transfer. We know that uh, A.J. Mayer from Miami of Ohio had, had a visit uh, a couple weeks ago. Maybe that's why they're looking for a, a quarterback, but maybe they're just looking to get more experience in the room. It's it's so tough to tell without being in the room or without seeing real games. Uh, but it, it does it does make me a little bit nervous that none of these guys is head and shoulders above the other. I always get afraid of is this the like the 2012 or 2011 Aki teams that were really a quarterback away at times where a reader just wasn't getting it done. Logan Bushnell didn't get it done. Taylor Davis didn't get it done. You just, you had a bunch of guys that were all pretty comparable, but they were all comparably mediocre. I'm not saying CJ or, or Geo are that, but anytime there's a battle going on between two young guys and they're, they're just not separating from each other. That does make me a little bit nervous. So um, I want to push back on that for a second. And again, asterisk, we both understand quarterback's not going to be decided in spring. Absolutely. The way I look at this is, is twofold. This is why I'm not anxious. CJ has been the presumptive number one. He hasn't moved down. He is still the one. So in terms of the comparison with the other guys, even if the offense is looking shaky and again, take the Xanax guys, that's the area that should be slowest developing. Our number one is still number one. He hasn't moved down. The positive I take away from, from Giovanni is earlier in spring, he was starting with the fours and now he's moving up to splitting time at ones that if we just focus on Giovanni, that's a significant growth, at least in the understanding from the coaching staff of what his potential ceiling is. So in, in addition to that, McCoy's had fewer reps with the ones and CJs in the spring. So if they're looking similar, even though Giovanni hasn't had a ton of reps, that is a positive, you know, light to be shown on Giovanni that he's definitely making an impression this far into spring, doing what he can to make a case to be considered to start in the in the fall. As far as CJ, look, we know he's just, he's had a lot of injuries while he's been at Idaho and dating back into when he was in high school. It's probably going to take a little bit of time to get a new rhythm again with a new offense. So that's why I'm not as anxious because, look, I've seen CJ look good not against a bad team, but still, he looked very good against Southern Utah. He showed the tools that we would hope to see out of a guy. Strong enough arm, legs, for sure. With McCoy, his raw stats were not as good as CJ's when you compare McCoy playing against Eastern and Montana compared to CJ against Southern Utah. But, again, uh, Eastern and Montana are both playoff teams. Montana, one of the best defenses in the FCS. So should a guy without much prep as a freshman look, have looked not great? By the way, running Paul Petrino's shitty offense probably shouldn't have put up very good stats. So I'm probably a, I'm a little less lukewarm. How about that? I'm just firmly living in the, this is a wait and see. A grad transfer probably shakes us up completely because a grad transfer is recruited for the sake of becoming a starter. But otherwise, 
if we're getting growth, which we are, offense looks better, that's all I was told we should expect. Hey, we got it. I'm going to take a win where I get it. And that's that's a that's a very fair and valid uh, approach to it. I do want to take a, a quick five seconds for all of our listeners to realize how far Tubbs has gone in the last few years. Brian, you used to be the most negative person on the show, and now you're not even close to the most negative person on the show. So I don't know if that's growth from Tubbs. I don't know if it's just sliding into a depression era. Of- My positivity is melting everybody's negativity down. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that, Martin. You got a you got a while to work on me here. Uh, I, however, on the positive side, I will say, if CJ comes away and wins this job, I'm absolutely going to be starting the CJ for Walter Payton Award campaign. Uh, if Geo does, if Geo wins the job, I'll be doing the same thing. If a new quarterback comes in, I probably won't be doing that because I won't really know much about the the grad transfer, assumed grad transfer. But I will be much more positive about this when the actual games are here. And I will talk myself into how how fantastic this is going to be and how we're going to score 70 points a game. And you know, the, the, the new optimism of this exciting new era is absolutely going to come. But right now, in the spring where we don't have any way to interpret this realistically, I mean, Brian, like you said, you're playing against each other. One side is not going to look very good. One side's going to win. One side's going to lose. And it's going to make the, the side that loses not look great. I, that's where I'm trying to take this with a grain of salt because I've seen enough spring games before where Idaho looked great. Well, yeah, it was the ones against the twos. Of course, the ones are going to look like they're going to come out and steamroll people. And then, you know, Paul Petrino's record of what, 33 and 67. Just, I don't, I'm trying not to get excited more than I should be. Um, so that's, that's really what I had to, to say about that. Almost started talking muted, but I but I caught myself. So only thing I'm going to respond to there, man, I don't even view myself as being positive. It's just in the look, we, we know some of these things aren't going to be answered in the spring. They have three weeks worth of practice. We're not going to be ready like we are for week one after three weeks into the spring. So what what's a reasonable win for us to take as fans or as guys who are just getting observations from practice, not even yet at the games or not even being able to watch in person. If the guy who is supposed to be one is staying as one, that means at the very least, he's not being beat out. So he's at least approaching expectation. Hey, that's fine. If a guy who was number four is now moving up to splitting reps with number one, the only thing to call that is growth. And it's just going to let us know that position is going to be inconclusive until we get into the season, which, hey, that's fine. We already know they're recruiting. They are recruiting for a grad transfer. I want to shift from quarterback real quick. Uh, another update we have as uh, we're going to have uh, Dan Satter joining in pretty quick. Zach Borish. We, we're going to have a thousand updates on Zach Borish, man, it, which is great news because we we keep getting updates like of no he's officially practicing with other groups now as in like that's what he did at practice well hey today at practice he's with, he's with running backs so he also spent time with a wide receiver group at slot so the news the quote unquote confirmed stuff we have relative to what Borsch is actually doing at practice he practices with receivers practices with running backs practices kick returns and practices the uh, run heavy quarterback it's just done he's just gonna play the way we hoped he would Dallas. No, I'm I'm so very, and I know I keep making this stupid pun. I'm so very excited about what they're going to do with Zach Borish. Uh, this seems like a 
I'm trying to be as politically correct as I can. This seems like a coaching staff that knows what the hell they're doing. Uh, <laughs> I got to interrupt you. Correcting I got to interrupt you. Why would you care about being? How many hours did Petrino's shitty teams cost well, you? Why are you trying to be diplomatic? Because I don't like saying that I think people were fucking terrible at their jobs uh, unless I absolutely have to. And now that he's in the past, what what do I gain from saying, yeah, Petrino is fucking terrible? Like, I, 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 there's nothing that it doesn't do anything for us. So I'm trying to, like, I was trying to be a little bit more polite about it. But I think Eck and his staff know what to do with kids. And that's not something we saw a whole lot of from the the Petrino days. Seeing Borish get moved into a spot where he's going to be able to make an impact in almost every phase of the game. Seeing Alex Moore get moved from receiver to tight end and then win multiple awards this spring and look supposedly phenomenal at tight end. Those are the kinds of things that... You, why didn't we see this happening with, with Paul Petrino is my, my, my problem. That's... Sorry, I don't mean to bring up Petrino. I do have to say Mark Trivelpiece, owner of the Corner Club, uh, jumping in and saying 34 and 66 was actually his record, not uh, 33 and 67 or whatever I said it was, because they were going to jokingly give him card, uh, the, oh boy, club card number 3466 as a hilarious uh, goodbye present. Anyways, back to the back to football. Uh, we also have Dalton Cash moving. Back to the tight end room uh, after I believe he started out in the tight end room. He's back in the tight end room now. Uh, Mujibru, five moving positions. Jashawn Williams, Kyron Beecham. Like a bunch of guys are starting to move positions around. And while we saw that a little bit from the Petrino days, this feels to me like we're seeing it so much more and, and actual use and reasoning behind it. Like the, the story of Borish is very historically, he was a quarterback in high school he came to idaho and he's been in the safety room the running back room the quarterback room. he's been he's been all over but he's never really seen the field until last year out of necessity or I guess, you know out of necessity he shows up makes these incredible plays and everyone's looking around like why the hell hasn't this kid been on the field for years that's the kind of thing i think we're about to get away from just seeing the guys move that eck is moving guys around in the spring getting guys touches getting guys uh, options and abilities to to go out and make plays, and that that's something I didn't think we saw much of in the last 10 years of Vandal football. Honestly, maybe longer than that. So it's it's, it's refreshing to see that Eck is is doing things like that, moving Boris around, moving Alex Moore around, etc. Last last kind of talking point, we may have to just filibuster, guys. Dan Satter's supposed to be jumping on 7.15, 7.12 uh, Pacific time. So Dallas, we talked about last week about, hey, like what's a win for the spring? And we talked about needing to build, this is Eck building culture, setting footprint, all those things. We're officially a week away from the spring season from, well, actually we're less than a week away. It's this Saturday is the spring game, December, uh, April 30th. Today's April 26th while we record. In your mind, what are the stakes of the spring game for, for Idaho football? And I, I don't mean to talk about last week's stuff. I want to, I want to isolate the spring game, and directly what you think it are, might be connective tissue moving into the future from the spring game, because I, I think there's actually quite a bit, a little more at stake in in terms of how Idaho looks than people might guess. It's it's funny. I'm going to let you talk about that, Brian, because I think what's at stake at the spring game is honestly almost the actual future of Idaho football. I think it's it's pretty apparent that going from FBS to FCS absolutely lost a section of the fan base. 
there was a section of the fan base that stuck around. You can see that that first game with Montana. Obviously, there were a bunch of Montana people there, but that dome was packed at least for the first ten minutes before it became an ugly blowout. And then we saw as Petrino's tenure winded down, uh, and he coached way more years than he should have here. Attendance has completely lagged. It seems like outside of our small little bubble in Moscow, Idaho, nobody really cares about Idaho anymore. Not that they did in the first place, but I know that the the Boise media does not seem to care as much like they used to. Not that they really cared before. They have the, the they have BJC, but that's what I think is at stake with the spring game. I think that this is the the first tip of the spear of Idaho trying to re-engage the fan base across the state and get people a little bit more interested in, in Vandal football. I think that's what's at stake with the spring game, putting on a good show, showing the people in Boise, Oh, Hey, they're still playing football up there. Going to FCS did not mean that they shut down the program. It's still good football. It's still a lot of fun. It's still the best university in the state care, please somebody let's get bus in seats. Let's get people moving. Brian, you're muted. I knew it was going to happen. I'm going to give my answer in a second, guys, but we have to take a quick detour. Uh, we are joined by <laughs> Associate Commissioner of Big Sky Conference, Dan Satter, uh, who listeners may not be aware of this. Dan orchestrated his entire vacation around being able to be on the show, completely left home, <laughs> so he'd be, com- he'd be uninterrupted so he could go at length. 30-ish minutes. Dan, how's it going? I'm doing great, Brian and guys. Great to see you and uh, appreciate you having me on. Thanks for being here, Dan. You came in for the back end of our our spring football talk, which we're going to get to once you're off. Now, I I have to tell listeners, Dan, before we jump in, some of this is going to have to deal with Big Sky Conference basketball. And for the portion of our audience who gets PTSD at the mention of basketball and Idaho. We're talking about at the conference level. So we will get, we'll give you PTSD worthy stuff later, but that's not right now. Dan, uh, big guy conference has a little bit of, you might call it restructuring going on with Southern Utah, leaving the conference for this next season. One of the big items that is set to change is we don't have 11 teams for a basketball tournament anymore which means you guys went, I, I don't know if back to the drawing board is too expansive. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you guys went to work, made some changes in the bracket. You mind letting us know a, what the process was and B uh, what are some of the changes we'll see in the bracket as you're talking, our producer is going to throw up an image of the bracket, which viewers will be able to check in on. I think we might've lost Dan. Yeah, happy to expound on uh, what transition here to becoming a a 10-team basketball league. Naturally, we had to make a choice about what we were going to do moving forward in Boise. And it was a almost a year-long process. I mean, really started last summer in earnest and culminated, of course, with our announcement while we were in Boise last month. And as we looked at this process, we said, let's, instead of maybe go to the path of least resistance, you know, there are some obvious ways where we could have done what we had been doing. And instead of having three first round games, have two, right. Have six teams get buys instead of five. We said, well, what, what else would we want to try to accomplish if we were starting from scratch? 
since we're going to have to make a change anyway, are there other things that we could try to accommodate and solve? Uh, I won't say problems, but find ways where we could create a better solution than what we had. Now that we've been in Boise, we just completed our fourth year there. We'll be there for at least four more years. And, and, you know, we really enjoy it and we've seen the tournament grow significantly, but what are some of the ways we could continue to improve it and not just uh, assume what we're doing is the, the best way forward, but what, what have we learned and what would we want to gain for our conference? So we met with both, our men's and women's basketball coaches a few times. We have a standing basketball committee that's comprised of three athletic directors chaired by Idaho AD Terry Golick and two senior women administrators. And that group has met nearly weekly uh, since the pandemic started. And this was of course a major topic of discussion. You know, anything related to women's and or men's basketball starts with that committee. And then they, uh, inform their athletic directors kind of of what they're talking about and, and socialize it further throughout our constituents. But, you know, as we thought about, okay, what are the things we want to see happen here and what's important to our different audiences? Well, a couple things came to mind immediately. Number one was, you know, can we improve our standing with television? That was something that was important from our national reputation and is there a way now that we've established a relationship, a deeper relationship, I should say, with ESPN? We had always had our men's championship game, if you'd remember, on ESPNU, but with our new partnership on ESPN Plus and some of the linear opportunities we've had, is there a way where we could improve that situation? And, you know, in talking with them among our many partners, you know, between the hotels and the arena and, uh, the Visitor and Convention Bureau, and some of the other uh, entities that we work regularly with and preparing for and promoting Boise, you know, ESPN was was one of those groups that, okay, what what could we do? And if we're willing to, to be flexible here. And that tied directly into something that our coaches had provided feedback about, which was the ones who had been to the tournament recently said that, you know, as great as it is to win the conference championship, when you play late on that Saturday night, directly before selection Sunday, uh, I'm speaking for the men here, the, the women's selection dates moved uh, a day or two. Normally it's been on the Monday this year was also on that Sunday, but they said, when you have that quick turnaround and you're spending the night Saturday night in Boise, and then you're getting back to campus. And basically right when you get back to campus, you're having a watch party to find out who you're playing and when you're playing and then you're turning around and staying up all night to watch film and you're getting a couple practices in maybe on campus, depending on when you play and when you have to travel. And then you're, you're going, you, they said, by the time you get to your game, I mean, you're excited to play and they wouldn't trade it for anything, but you're, you're running on fumes at that point because it, you're so compressed from having played in the tournament to when you play played in the big sky tournament to when you play in the NCAA tournament. We obviously want to do better than we've done in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, we see that as an opportunity that maybe a little more rest, a chance to go back to campus and collect your breath uh, and settle in and, and uh, recharge your batteries a little bit before that whirlwind is going to start on selection Sunday uh, and or Monday for the women if when it goes back to that. 
uh, we thought could be a good thing. So that kind of tied in with the ESPN conversation of, well, if we are willing to move when we play our tournament, would we be able to improve our linear television stature? And the answer there was yes from our partners in Bristol, Connecticut. So as uh, you can see here in this press release, now the men's championship game, instead of being on ESPNU, will be on ESPN2, which is a significant increase in the number of households that have that game available to them, as well as the fact that now for the first time ever, the women's championship game will be nationally televised on linear television. So they will have a, a slot on ESPNU, and we're thrilled about them having that exposure that uh, they certainly deserve. So potential more linear opportunities down the line too that uh, aren't finalized, you know, as we announced this last month and as we record this right now, uh, but we're exploring some opportunities to, to continue to enhance that uh, as well as to continue to grow the Big Sky Courtside show that we originated from Idaho Central Arena this year that was complete wraparound coverage, pregame, halftime, postgame, around every tournament game. And we'll continue to do that, I believe, moving forward as well. So we had that opportunity with this here. And, you know, another piece of feedback we had heard was, you know, how do we how do we reward competitive success during the regular season? And, you know, there's a variety of models. And we looked at pretty much every conference bracket out there just to make sure there wasn't some we were missing. And, you know, the thought was, how can we strike the balance of doing a little more than we've done to reward the top seeds, but not go as far as uh, the automatic buy all the way into the semifinals that some other conferences have done. That was where our coaches and administrators, kind of the middle ground was of, uh, what and how they thought about it. So that sort of led us to this bracket. And, you know, as we looked at how can we promote Boise more, we thought, you know, I think it could be really good to start on the weekend. You know, we haven't had that luxury. We've been starting the women on a Monday and the men on a Wednesday. And we'd love to see what type of attendance we can draw if we're doing it where it's not going on a traditional work day to, to open the tournament. So that led us to the, the bracket you see here. And, uh, you know, by removing two games overall, you know, we used to do 20 games. Now we have 18. We were able to align for the first time the women's and men's brackets to have this. Seeds playing on the same day. And another thing is to not have a game have to tip off before noon. You know, when you think about the student athlete experience, and that's something that, you know, we pay close attention to with this, how do we improve that? You know, it, it was a necessity because of the way the brackets were set up and having to get as many games in at one site um, as we did have to do. But, you know, that's not a that's not an ideal experience, right, to tip at 930. So we, we knew that and we wanted to try to fix that if we could. And what we have here will do that, that we won't have to tip before noon, you know, which is a, a typical game time on a weekend during the regular season or, or not atypical, I should say, you know, it depends on the school and the home site. So uh, we feel really good about where we landed here and, you know, are excited to um, go from what was having 
one game, the men's championship game was the only weekend game, right? In our Monday to Saturday format that we had. And now we're going to go and we're going to have eight weekend games, uh, you know, starting of course with four each day for the first four days of the tournament. So that that Saturday we'll have four, that Sunday we'll have four, you know, from, from noon to 10, 10 30, uh, at night. Um, but you know, again, we're optimistic, uh, and are appreciative of our partners of, you know, being willing to be creative on this front as well to see what it could do for us. And a question I got for you, Dan, this has to do with the bra the bracket itself and also like potential advantages rewarded to teams that finish with higher seeds. The way this bracket looks, and Martin, can you scroll all the way up so I can have reference to the days? Thank you. So tournament opens on on Saturday. The Both the men's and women's, the 9 and 10 seeds play, and the 7 and 8 seeds play. So, so that, that's day one. Day yep. two, your number one seed is going to play the winner of the 9-10 game. The number two seed is going to play the winner of the 7-8 game. That's for both men's and women's bracket. And this is where you, you kind of get some advantage for finishing higher in conference is that the number one seed and number two seed, they're going to get to watch the four, five, and three, six play and then have an additional day off compared to the four, five, three, six seeds. Is that correct? Correct. Yep, exactly. And, and so this, again, was kind of that balance of rewarding competitive success, but making sure we are an all-in tournament, you know, all 10 teams will go to Boise and, you know, we, we want there not to be an enormous disparity, um, but we did want to, again, reward that competitive success. So if you're the one and two seeds, you still have to win three games, but you have to do it over four days and you get to watch your opponents playing and do a live scout there. Um, we stole from the NBA playoffs and their playing series of we had been doing seven versus 10 and eight versus nine. And we said, why don't, you know, again, let's reward the number one seed there and have them play the, the winner of nine, 10 and the two seed play the winner of seven, eight. So that was another little uh, twist wrinkle that, that we threw in. And then, as you noted, Brian, one, the one seed versus that nine, 10, whoever wins that game will have the day off on Monday to do a live scout to watch the four or five game to know who their opponent is in the semifinals on Tuesday. And the same for the winner of the two seed versus the seven, eight winner will watch that three, six game uh, in earnest to see who they play Tuesday. Which follow question I have, this just relates to, to the bracket itself. I completely accept and support the idea that shifting the championship game to what it's a Wednesday, correct? Correct. Yeah. And, 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 you know, again, with the brackets aligning, now we'll have a championship day. You okay. know, in the past, the women had played their championship on Friday along with the men's semis and the men's championship had been Saturday. Now Wednesday will be just two games, the two championships. I really like that parallel structure. That is not my question, but I like it. The question I have for you guys is shifting the championship game to championship games to Wednesday does give the the winner a few days off to both get back home, relax a little, and get back into practice before actually you know traveling for the NCAA tournament. 
is was there any concern to the fact that a Wednesday championship game might be harder for people to get to? You know, we certainly looked at all those factors and one of the things again that we kind of landed on is let's let's start it on the weekend and get people there hopefully at the start. And if you're following your team, you know, which is what happens in a tournament, of course we're trying to draw a Boise crowd um, regardless, but we, we know we have people traveling from our campuses or elsewhere to support their alma mater, or their, the team that they cheer for, or that they know someone on. We're, we're thinking and hoping that, you know, once you get there and if your team's winning, you're not going to want to leave. So then that you can plan that on the front end versus, you know, what we hear now is people saying, well, I want to wait and see if our team wins. And if they look good, then maybe I'll, make the drive or I'll try to get there. And I, I think that's a lot harder that if you're, you're not committed to doing it, that you might find a reason not to versus if you get there on the front end and if you're supporting a team and they win, I'm going to go out on a ledge and say, you're going to have a pretty good time cheering them on and seeing that happen. And you're going to want to stay to hopefully keep seeing that happen. And I'm going to get, I want to make sure I understand this too. You guys is, as the committee, the understanding was broadly, look, yes, if you change a championship game to a different day, that may impact travel. But if we get to change the championship day in terms of getting viewers on the conference, having less conference cha con conference championship competition on a Wednesday instead of a Saturday, pretty safe to say there should be more eyes. Yeah, the, no, the you're exactly you're exactly right. You know, when you look at ESPN's lineups, right, traditionally, and of course, I, you know, I can't tell you if any other conferences are making any changes that would impact this, but Saturday is a day that's really heavy with championship games. And when you've got, you know, the ACC and you've got the Big East and you've got some others, you know, we've, we've been on that day but it's tough for us to really have the, the light shining on us. Now, when we shift to Wednesday, there'll certainly be plenty of other conference basketball, but there won't be hardly any other championship games. So, uh, you know, as somebody who personally loves watching all those games and seeing who's going to get a bid and, and you know what's at stake in, in leagues like ours, I think it'll become even more compelling for a viewer to tune in to the Big Sky Contest on that afternoon and that evening. So that answers the basketball questions I had. Dallas, do you, before we shift over to football stuff, because as Dan knows, it is always football season. Dallas, any other basketball stuff you want to hit? I don't think so. I did appreciate Dan being very uh, uh, team neutral and acting like Idaho has a chance to someday be in the, the tournament game. Thank you for, for making me feel like there is a chance for Vandal basketball to someday make it to that Wednesday game. I do appreciate it. Well, Zach's doing a good job there. So, right. <laughs> Building blocks happen uh, over a course of a, a few seasons usually. And, and of course, Wednesday, right. I mean, let's not forget John Newley and what he's done in the past. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we know there's a lot of Vandal fans in Boise, so we'd, we'd love for them to uh, come out and, and be at this tournament. And, and again, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, with this reformatting, that it makes it uh, easier 
because we have fewer games happening in the middle of a day mm-hmm. when there's work that fans of any team and, and Boise is a great city for us to do this tournament. And for many reasons, uh, one of the main ones is that there's a lot of alumni from a lot of schools, uh, including of course the Vandals. So we, we want to try to make this as compelling and as easy as possible for uh, those fans and followers to be able to attend these games. Before we shift the football last comment, it's not really a question, Dan. I do. I do really like the way that uh, the women's and the men's brackets are synced so that all the games match up. There isn't nest. Of course, time slots, some games are going to get priority, whatever. There, there's no way to do it perfect without having multiple venues. And that wouldn't be perfect anyway, because you'd be splitting up fans. But I like having the rounds match up exactly. One, it's very easy to explain to people. If you want to watch these games of this day, there's not two separate timelines to understand. There's just one. And two, um, I, I just like that the women's teams are also getting equitable time. <clears throat> I don't mean that in like a judgmental sense, but I like that they are their games are scheduled in the exact same way with men. So there isn't necess- there isn't exactly a favoritism in my mind that probably may help some of the women's attendance too. Having the men's game scheduled the same day before we shift to football. Any comment on <clears throat> that parallel structure? Yeah, you know, that's something that's really important to our league and, you know, our ethos, right? That we want to make sure that we're providing a great experience to the women and the men and having it at the same venue. And and again, these changes, and I appreciate you noting that, that, you know, aligning everything with these brackets to be on the same days, you know, they play on the same court, they use the same locker rooms, they get all the same amenities, and of course, Unfortunately, you know, the NCAA tournament hasn't always been like that, as we know. Uh, and and I'm proud of how we uh, host our championships here in basketball and doing it all together, too. You know, like you said, if you're a fan, the, you know, you'll look at two brackets instead of one. But if we weren't doing this in the same venue or, or the same city, you're making people make a choice from the president of the university to the athletic director to fans and all the way on down the line. And, you know, I think we saw a lot of uh, carryover in the attendance this year. Now that we were able to have fans again in Boise um, and certainly of course, Montana state, you know, uh, went on a run in both brackets there, but, you know, that's, it just makes it all the more compelling for a fan to make the trip when you know that you have a chance to support two of your teams as opposed to one. So I'm going to change it up to football now. Uh, so Dan, obviously the uh, there have been changes to the, the schedule with Southern Utah leaving. Uh, some of the Idaho fan base, uh, and maybe some of them are, are, are our listeners, and that's why I'm being uh, forced to ask this question. Is there any talk of potential expansion of the protected rivals? I know there is a very large subset of our fan base that is not terribly thrilled that the Little Brown Stein game is no longer happening every year. Is that uh, in development beyond the the mid twenty twenties? Is there thought of that? What, what's what's kind of the outlook for for protected rivals going forward? Sure. Now, Dallas, I appreciate the question, and I know that's something top of mind for a number of Vandal fans, and and I'm happy to address that. So 
you know, you talk about what the process was where we arrived at with our schedules and, you know, we have announced six years worth of football schedules. So from this upcoming fall, the 22 season, all the way through 27, you know, we've, we've put out those schedules and as part of the process, as we were changing uh, and transitioning to a 12 team football league, uh, you know, we looked at every model imaginable in regards to the number of annual opponents, as well as the process to select said annual opponents. And of course, the more annual opponents that you play, right, the, the math here, uh, you know, drives this, that it means you're going to play all of the non-annual opponents less frequently, right? So you're, you're kind of weighing both those factors there and trying to figure out what, what makes the most sense. Um, we wanted to stay at eight conference games. We did talk about that, but there really wasn't much of a push to expand beyond eight, you know, FCS in most years, you play 11 regular season games, uh, in, in the occasional years. And the next times this happens is 24 and 25, as well as in 30 and 31, uh, you do get an extra weekend in there for a 12th game. But, you know, the way our teams have been building their schedules, you know, varies non-conference schedules, I should say, varies, you know, throughout the conference, but they felt it was important that they had at least three non-conference games in there. So with the eight games, you know, again, we looked at every scenario from zero to uh, four. And what we found was there already had been a I, i'm you know I'm, i want to make sure i accurately reflect how the membership felt because again with something like this right it's never it's usually not unanimous but the overwhelming consensus was we don't play everybody enough that the way the schedule had been done and there were significant gaps from when you played somebody or didn't smooth out of you played them at home, but then you didn't go and return the game for a while, or you played them at home twice before you went on the road, you know, th those kind of things. So there was a, a strong interest from uh, our membership to make sure that, especially at the FCS level, where, as you know, we're not going to have a conference championship game because we're feeding right into the FCS playoffs. Um, you know, and, and I think that's an important distinction because sometimes people bring up how FBS conferences do this and they have a championship game and they have divisions. Um, and some of that may be changing, but, you know, they're doing it for a reason with divisions to determine a division champion to feed into a conference championship game. So with, not having that structure, I think, is an important delineation between FCS and FBS. So, again, a lot of conversation. And ultimately, there was the determination that two made the most sense because it allowed, as we looked at how many seasons worth of schedules we wanted to do to provide our teams the chance to know what they had and to use that as they were forming their non-conference scheduling, which it's incredible, you know, how many years in advance football non-conference scheduling happens. Um, so there, there was interest in, in getting this done for a number of years. 
and to, again, figure out a rotation where it made sense, where we could explain it and everybody could explain it to their fan base. So we did two three-year blocks, and that's the right way to look at this. I know we've put out six years' worth, but they're two three-year cycles, and, and they do repeat themselves. But in those three years with two annual opponents, of course you're going to play those two each of the three years, but then you're going to play everybody else twice in that three-year period, once at home and once away. So again, that makes sense. It's simple to explain. We did the best we could at looking at where teams had played their last matchup against an opponent and tried to reverse it, but there was no way to do that perfectly because there had not been that um, routine uh, built into it in large part because it was an odd number of teams. So, you know, the math just makes that really difficult because when you have an odd number of teams, you always have one team that's got an open week whenever you're playing conference games. Uh, so it, it inherently is messier, uh, especially, you know, when you're not able to do a full round robin. No, I love the logically it makes a bunch of sense. Uh, I think emotionally for Vandal fans, it's it's tough to get over the pill of Montana's not protected. It's not the every year thing, but you do. You mentioned it. The there are times where you, you're going to the same place a couple of years in a row. I think this year we're actually gonna I, we as the Idaho Vandals play at Idaho straight for th the third straight year because of the, the COVID year and just the way the scheduling worked out. So cleaning up a lot of that makes a bunch of sense. Um, I do have, I know we're, we're just about out of time with you. So I had one last question for you. Uh, we had another listener ask, what's the strategic plan for 2022? What's, what's the goal for the big sky conference this year? And then just a little selfish sidebar from that same listener. What is it going to take to make the big sky, the best conference in the FCS? You could say it's one a and one B with the Missouri Valley, but what, what does the big sky have to do to be the best conference around? Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking that because strategic planning has been, uh, an enormous part of what we've been doing the last few months. So uh, I'd love to touch on that, but I, I do want to make one more point regarding the annual opponents. And I, I don't want to speak for Idaho or Idaho state. Um, you know, certainly Terry and Pauline Theros, Idaho state's AD and their presidents, um, you know, and, and coaches are happy to, I'm sure, uh, comment at the appropriate time, but both schools uh, were adamant about how important this rivalry is to them. And I'm not saying that that is to diminish another game or to make this a zero sum kind of thing, but that was really important. Uh, I think from both presidents, we heard that of wanting to make sure, and that was part of why this game now, the, the Battle of the Domes, will be on the final weekend of the regular season because we felt like that in-state rivalry that Montana and Montana State have and Sac State and UC Davis have, that this game, those schools are thinking of it in that way. They've articulated that to us. So we wanted to give it the appropriate stature uh, for that. And, you know, again, some of this just becomes, uh, you know, the numbers game of making it work, as well as the fact that our membership wanted to give everyone the chance to submit their preferences for their annual opponents and to 
asked us to ensure that everybody received at least one of their requests. So they were able to submit, I think it was three, if I remember this, you know, we're, we're going back over a year now. So forgive me for not uh, having it at the, the tip of my tongue, but I think everybody was allowed to submit three, um, maybe four, and they were guaranteed to get at least one of those. And of course, you know, everybody's only going to have two based on the model we, we chose. So, you know, some of it becomes uh, musical chairs, if you will, there. And again, with the rotation that we set, uh, you know, yeah, it's disappointing, certainly because it's been a great rivalry and, and you know, there is uh, a trophy involved and there's close proximity. Uh, but they'll play two out of the three years and do it again two out of the three years. So we we know that that at least is better than what it's been for non-annual opponents in our rotation. And, uh, you know, things like this, uh, our commissioner is fond of saying if we make everybody about 70 percent happy with the conference schedules, then we've done a good job. Because if you make somebody 100 percent happy there probably is a zero sum game impact there where somebody's significantly less than a hundred percent happy as a result of that. So, uh, that's, uh, his, uh, go-to line as we're developing schedules and we want to make sure we've got parameters that can explain why and how we arrived at what we did. So hey, paraphrase real quick about the protected rivals process, just so listeners can be clear about how, as my understanding of the process went, is you're describing protected rivals as this was a university-driven process. This was not the big sky saying, hey, we're just going to do this. It was individual universities submitted. You, you referenced number three, just as an asterisk, let's say three-ish. Team submitted three-ish Yeah, rivals. it was three or four. I can't remember because we've done this uh, multiple times. I think we had done it, if I remember correctly, I think we did it when we were starting on this process, when we thought we were going to be a 13 team football league and we asked for three. And then I think we asked for four when we knew we were going to be a 12 team football league. I think that's how that played out. Again, this is more than a year ago. So uh, that's my hesitation and I, I want to make sure I get it right, but it was three or four for sure. And when teams commit submitted their three or four, was it supposed to be submitted as in like, hey, number one really is number one, or hey, here's just like three or four teams we would prefer to play? Uh, yeah, it, it, the schools were asked to rank them, but they weren't promised that they were guaranteed their number one. You know, super obvious, right? Uh, and, and but. We also you, had to make sure you cut that, out your last paragraph. Okay. So some, I was just saying that they were asked to rank them, but they weren't guaranteed you're going to get your number one. Because if three schools chose the same other school as their number one, somebody can't get it right. Like some of this stuff, you know, you, you can't promise till you see the results. So, we said we want to try to give everybody at least one of their are we back 
Yeah, it cut out when you said give everyone one of their. <laughs> uh, we 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 wanted to try to ensure everybody could get one of their preferred protected rivals. Okay, perfect. And then from that point on, the the conference was a little bit involved because, again, like you said, if like you know, if three teams put one school as their number one, well, one school can't be a protected rival for three schools. Right, based on us deciding we were going to have to exactly. And, okay. you know, just like I talked about, we have a football, uh, a basketball, I mentioned the basketball committee. We have a similar structure. We have a football committee. So they were intimately involved in, in this process. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of my questions answered, Dan, you've been on for a little over 30 minutes, Dallas. Uh, do you have anything else or does Dan get to go back on vacation? I think you can go back to your vacation, Dan. I would love to hear more about that strategic plan sometime, but for anybody that's interested, uh, at Big Sky Deputy on Twitter, maybe we can get an answer there. Happy to engage uh, online there and, and social media. And uh, yeah, let's talk in a few months here. We're going to hopefully be launching our strategic plan then so we can really kind of dive into that as a main topic before football season uh, kicks off. So I'd be happy to to do that if uh, that's of interest to, to you guys and your uh, viewers and listeners. So, Dan, we will definitely be harassing your direct messages as we approach the start of football season. Thanks for coming on. Second time on Tubbs of the Club, Dan. Always a pleasure to have you. Always a pleasure to be on. And, and Brian, was- I'd expect uh, that way. So, thank you. You cut out that. You last cut out. We didn't catch any of that, but it, it timed out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I was just saying thanks, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. And, yeah, his uh, inter- Dan's internet think. connection is fatigued right now. I think so Dan's internet the- connection is telling us it's time for him to go. Exactly. Thank yeah. you so much, Dan. We appreciate your time. We look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Thank you, guys. Appreciate right. you. Take care. All right. Thanks, Dan. Dan Satter, Associate Commissioner of Big Sky Conference. At so, Big Sky Deputy on Twitter. Yeah, we'll get back to the to the football thing in a second. But I part of why I asked the protected rivals question is I've just explained this to people a handful of times when I think the Big Sky Conference, relative to where we're at, is a great conference, a real well-run conference to be a part of. I'm, I'm happy where we're at. There are times where fans have talked to – I've heard people be frustrated about um, – protected rivals changing with Montana, which by the way, I am. I asked the question because look, you guys, it it should be painfully clear. This was not the big sky saying, Hey, Idaho, Montana, you're done. This was an Idaho move to have Idaho state become higher priority. So uh, I think that was objectively the wrong call, but uh, brought it on, brought Dan on, had him talk about it so that we have clarity of big skies doing what they need to do. It's a tough dance with as big a conference as we have, uh, so broadly speaking, again, I'm stoked about the Big Sky leadership. They're also incredibly open to coming on uh, and explaining how it works. Taylor Cash in the comment section is saying with two out of every three years is much more palatable, which is correct. I mean, it sucks not having the game be yearly, but it's not like we're not going to play Montana for half a decade or something like that. Or go there three years in a row like we're doing with with the shithole and poke a hellhole. Like... The, the logically a lot of this stuff makes sense it, it's unfortunate that we didn't get you know say idaho state and montana as our rivals but 
I think half the conference would have asked to have Montana as a rival anyways. So it it is what it is. Yes, we have a trophy tied to it, but realistically it hadn't been played for quite some time. Uh, they're looking forward. It, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, and I must be one of the few people who isn't that touchy about going to Pocatello three years in a row because Idaho State mostly has sucked. So us having a road game against a shitty team a few years in a row is not that rough to me. Uh, Mark Triple Peace comment section saying ISU should be protected rival, but I'd rather have UM Montana over Eastern Washington. Uh, look, there's a, there's a handful of people who are like that who are going to feel similar to how Mark does. I don't really have an argument to what Mark's saying about Idaho State should be a protected rival. No, you're you're correct. It should. It's more losing. I, I feel like um, having Idaho hitched to the stronger conf, stronger teams in the conference, broadly speaking, both in terms of scheduling and any other sort of connective tissue, cultural kind of way is in terms of building institutional relationships is the right call in my mind in terms of not only making the big sky better today, but we always know football is always changing. We do have to be aware of what future steps are going to be. Um, but and, again, I, I don't, I'm not upset about Idaho state. It's losing Montana, but again, it's once every three years. Yeah, it, it, At the end of the day, it's, it's not the worst thing. And if it does correct, I know I keep harping on it. If it does correct that whole, we went to Pocatello three years in a row. Like it's not the worst thing. Like you said, Brian, it's a, it's a, road game against a team that historically sucks, but it's, it's nice to also beat up little brother at home once in a while. I get up for that game. I, I despise Idaho state. It's it just, it's, it's nice to, to see them at your place once in a while. So if, if this standardized schedule means that two out of three years, you know, other than the protected guys, you go there once they come there once it, you know, it, it works out in the long run. Logically, it makes the most sense. I also have to say Idaho state did us a favor last year of hosting the end of the season it would in a game that people may forget because if you were smart you didn't watch it it was two fired coaches playing in pocatello in a 14 to 0 game the worst football game any of us may ever see at least we didn't have to lose one of our our home games for that for that dog shit at the end of last year but uh dallas I am lonely on the screen, so I'm going to keep talking for, for a second. I still have to connect to the spring game. Um, I asked Dallas earlier what he what he thought the spring game meant. I think there are some pretty significant stakes for Idaho in the spring game. And with the asterisk that, Idaho just needs to look good enough. This is Jason Neck's first time really having his team out with an audience. Coaches will always have their highest approval rating before anyone has ever se- has seen them play whatsoever so this is the first time jason x is going to have his team in public yeah they're playing themselves so that probably puts a cap on how good any any side's going to look but i i think it's important that we feel where we live dallas you and i don't live in boise but we're in our area and in how we connect online there's the energy around vandal football is very different right now with jason Eck, with the and also with the plan the the outreach plan, let's say, that the um, University of Idaho Athletic Department has been doing both in, in having individual in-person meetings, in just their internet outreach. Vandal football feels different now than it did previously because it should feel different. But at some point, games are played. This isn't a regular game, but once the games are played, someone actually wins, someone loses. Or for the spring, 
once the games are played, we're going to start to see what does growth maybe look like. And this is also going to be different because goddamn, finally it's ones versus ones, which means there's a little more skin in the spring game. So yeah, I'm with Dallas. Dallas is doing the prayer hands for the, for listeners who can't, who can't watch that itself is a big development, which I am going to just leave the the spring game this time thinking at least we have something real to discuss, but I think it's important to uh, both offensive and defensively, and I'm going to put a little more focus on the offense right now just because the basic reporting we've been given is that the defense looks fine. Defense looks improved and just having a different scheme has made all the difference. The offense has to look good enough. It's got to look good enough for people to say, hey, my faith in, in Jason Eck right now is founded. I am going to continue to be excited heading into the beginning of the football season. Offense doesn't need to look lights out but we need to see a little bit of that creativity that we probably expected to see with, with Jason Neck and Luke Schleissner coming over, something that Jason Neck was known for at South Dakota. We probably need to see a, at least enough promise from the offensive line to understand, hey, it, the guy just needs more time for this line to get settled to make, make some meaningful strides. And we got to look like we we have to see reason to believe Idaho is going to score enough points this season, which has been our problem for the, one of our problems for the last three or four years. We just don't put enough points on the board. We're not going to see all of it because, again, it's only three weeks, but we have to see enough for fans to say, look, my faith in excitement is real. And I am going to say it is it's still there after finally seeing a game. Could you say it's real and it's fantastic? Christ's yes, I, I could. I could. It's fan, real and fantastic. Sorry, that was really stupid. Uh, we're we're well beyond the hour mark, and that means that my brain kind of just shuts off and starts thinking of the dumbest things I can possibly say. So if you guys want to hear stupid shit come out of my mouth, let's go nuts, because this is I'm, I'm in the zone right now. Now Brian, that we've... Yeah. That, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Hey, I saw your mouth I move. didn't even say a sentence. I did not even <laughs> say a sentence. So, look, we're well past the hour mark. We're going to call it a night. Before we call the night, Dallas, we have to get to our favorite Christine sponsor. bitches. Hughes River Expedition. Usually we try to do this ad read earlier in the show, but uh, things were just different today, so people are going to survive. Around the bar, brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. If you're looking for a great, all-inclusive, week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental U.S., located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the Salmon, the main Salmon River no return, the Salmon River Canyons, or the Selway. You can even check out special trips like the one to see the Perced Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches. Run amazing whitewater hike scenic trails. Spot wildlife soaking beautiful natural hot springs. Take in the history along the river and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You just bring your clothes. Let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expedition has been vandal owned and operated since 1976 and ready to take you on a vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Martin can quit slamming the exclamation point of us for us to read the ad read in the private chat. <laughs> Dallas, before we call tonight, anything you want to hit on? Um, yeah, actually, I would love uh, for anybody that is a member of the Patreon community, again, patreon.com backslash tubs of the club, hashtag only tubs. Uh, if you have questions for Dan Satter when he comes back in, uh, we're going to say late summer, early fall, be thinking of them. Let us know. I, I'm i a big nerd. I like to hear 
people tell us about the minutia of the conference. I can't wait to hear what the strategic plan for 2022 is. I can't wait to hear what the big sky is doing. Obviously, he kind of alluded to the ESPN deal a little bit, or the ESPN Plus deal a little bit of that was a strategic move to get better uh, media rights and and start moving and, and make a better partnership with ESPN. And now we see ESPN Plus has been way better than Pluto ever was. Uh, and I'll smack anybody that disagrees with me. That is so, so not a lateral move, not a lateral move. Uh, shockingly, not a lateral move at all. Uh, now we have the the men's championship game in basketball is on ESPN too. Like the, that's a cable channel. Like my parents have that. Like my parents know what that is. They don't know what ESPN Plus is, but they know what ESPN two is. Like those kind of things. I love hearing what the big sky is doing to try to to step up and and do more and be even better than they currently are. Um, I would love to ask Dan if there's, you know, I probably have to be off record, but I'd love to ask Dan if there's ever a FBS offshoot. We've heard that rumor for years. The big sky is pretty big with 13 teams, only on 12 teams. I don't think it's going to uh, something that's ha- going to happen, but think of these kind of o- oddball questions. Ask Dan. I, w- I want to hear Dan tell us all about the, the future of this conference. Martin, for anybody paying attention to the video, yeah. Martin is trying to like, flash the lights like it's time to go home he's flipping well, brian no, and i back and forth across. yeah he is but look we have a big announcement martin you better not hang you better not kill the show before the sentence is over <laughs> the look next week is our last show before we take a little bit of a break and to cover the spring game we've got a special guest offensive coordinator luke schleisner is going to be on the show to talk about how the team looked down in boise so if you are a hashtag only tubs member at patreon.com backslash tubs at the club, you can easily throw us some questions that we're going to read for the interview. Uh, you guys are more than welcome otherwise to reach out and send us questions, but full disclosure, if you're a patron, you're getting the priority. Um, otherwise we got one more episode, then a big pause for everyone to take a break. Otherwise I'm going to call uh, it night. Martin's going to play very quick breaking off. news. Well, not breaking news. Uh, Jake Scharnhorst is out as the Idaho head strength and conditioning coach. Uh, he's been here since 2009. Not sure who's going to replace him, but uh, he has decided to to move on and, and move on to, I'm assuming, bigger and better things. So we thank him for his time. We are going to be looking for new head strength and conditioning. Coach. I'm not clear if he decided to move on or if he was moved on, but the position is open. How about that? Oh. Okay, we, we got to our big announcement. Martin's going to play whatever the hell he wants to close the show. Go Vandals. I wish you guys could see the grin on Martin's face right now in our little StreamYard preview. So raise your glass and have a drink with me. Here's to the Vandals and the craft. I'll just out there living the dream. Part of one and only Moscow drink.